Today is Sunday, November 18th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, and episode 289 featuring NBC Sports Boston's Chris Forsberg is brought to you by The Athletic. Get your subscription to The Athletic today for less than $3 a month just by going to theathletic.com slash Celticsbeat. The show also brought to you by Casper. Go to casper.com slash Celtics and use the promo code Celtics to get $50 off select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome in. As we know, the Celtics have not been the best team in the East this year. They certainly haven't been the worst either. One thing they have been is inconsistent. So let's get in there. I'm happy to welcome in good friend of the show, a guy who used to write about the Celtics and appear on TV, and now he writes about the Celtics and appears on TV. Chris Forsberg, what's up, man? What's up, Adam? What's going down? Well, before we talk hoop, first off, because I, I haven't had you on the show since, we spoke over the summer prior, and I don't remember, maybe around free agency, but congrats on the new gig. I mean, for people who may not be aware, you went from ESPN Boston to NBC Sports Boston, which means we're seeing a whole lot more of you. How are you enjoying it? Yeah, you know, listen, it, it was, uh, it, 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 I, won't, I won't try and hide from it. it. It ruined my summer. It was a really tough decision, <laughs> and uh, I like my, my wife and my kids were unfailingly patient with me because like I really wrestled with what was the best move for my future and I think like anything when you go into something new you, you're not sure how it's going to go uh, but I, I do think it's it's exceeded all my expectations and uh, I mean man it's just a thrill I don't think when I got into this business I thought I'd be on TV very much and the opportunities here have been bountiful and, and it's been really fun to be a part of and working with I mean, the people there are just so good, like in all in, in every level, and uh, it, it, they make it so easy on you. Uh, and so it's been really great. And getting to do sideline the other night, like, listen, I don't know if they'll ever let me do it again after after that performance, <laughs> but it, it, like, it was just a, it was truly a pinch me moment to to sort of do that and be like, I can't believe they're trusting me to do this. And so uh, that's been really cool, and I can't thank the people enough over there for sort of having the confidence to, to throw me out there. Our, our director, Paul Lucy and Kevin Miller and everybody like they, They've shown a lot, awful lot of uh, confidence in me, uh, probably confidence I didn't have in myself. Well, it seems like too, and, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, but you know, you're over at ESPN, which most people assume, be it on air talent, writer, whatever you're doing, that's the dream job. That's where you want to be. You want to be at the worldwide leader. And so you go to NBC sports, Boston, and I'm, I'm seeing a lot more of, you know, you're posting pictures, whether it's to promote post up or I'm going to be on early edition or Boston Sports Tonight or, you know, just shots around the newsroom, whatever it may be. And I, I don't know, maybe there's a part of you that's trying to be a little more upfront just to catch people up, make sure they're totally aware, hey, this is where I am now. But it also seems like you're just genuinely enjoying this position, this job, this role more than what you were doing before, taking nothing away from what you were doing. ESPN's great. But it seems like, I don't know, this one may be on a more personal level. Like you said, the pinch me moment doing sideline. You're just having a little more fun. Yeah, I, I would say the one thing that, that, that struck me, even when I was sort of just doing it uh, on the side while I was at ESPN, was that I would go into my, like, my local coffee shop. And I live out in the middle of nowhere. And like, not to say that people in Central Mass don't watch Celtics games, but <laughs> you know, the, guy behind the, reg- the guy behind the register would be like, oh, I saw you on TV last night. And I'd say, oh, you watch ESPN? And he goes, no, I, I saw you on NBC Sports. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and that just kept kind of happening. And I, I think it speaks to sort of, you know, 
listen, everyone watches ESPN and, and uh, you know, it, it was it, being on that program was amazing. But uh, in this market, especially, I think Boston specifically, people are so rabid about sports that they they watch the local programming a lot. And so it's been really cool to see uh, how many people have reached out and, and, and said stuff. And so, you know, when I go into that, it, it, the, the, what I always joke about is like a lot of the ESPN stuff I did from my house and I'd be sitting there in like, you know, my underpants and a sports jacket <laughs> and my little iPhone camera. Uh, I couldn't really take any pictures behind the scenes of that. So now when I'm in the, in the studio and we're having fun and we're joking around, it's uh it's neat to sort of show people what we're doing. I hope that translates. Cause like, listen, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm, I'm having a lot of fun doing it. And, uh, uh, I hope that translates in, in how we're we're approaching the coverage. Well, look, you're a guy covering the Celtics at the flagship home of the Celtics. It doesn't get much better than that. So <laughs> let's let's talk about this team, Chris, because as I said off the hop, inconsistency. And I, I do want to acknowledge for people that are listening, this show is being recorded prior to these final two games of the homestand <laughs> against the Raptors, against the Jazz. There are different reasons to go into that, but it's being recorded on a Friday. It's released on a Sunday. I recognize the team could go out and just beat the hell out of Toronto and Utah and all of a sudden 3-0 homestand, and that changes how people feel in, in that given moment. But one thing that is maybe good, unique, big picture about this show being a once-a-week show is that we're more concerned with those larger focus items. So two games, be it two wins, two losses, a split, isn't going to, at least for me, overly impact things. So let's let's talk about where this team is as you see it right now. It's identity under Brad Stevens, because that's always been driven by defense, driven by toughness. Statistically, that's still the case, but to the naked eye, again, very up and down. Yeah, and I think that it it goes that with both sides of the ball, right? Like we've seen these flashes and glimpses on, on offense, like that first quarter in Denver. You're thinking, wow, you know, there's the Celtics we thought we'd see. Uh, and like you said, the numbers bear it out. But even Brad sitting there this week and saying, you know, people tell me we're the number one defense, but uh, you know, I don't, I'm not sure I, I believe it with <laughs> my eyes. Uh, you know, they've they've given up some big games to individual talents, right? Like Oladipo pretty much single-handedly beat them there at the finish line in Indiana and you know them not stepping up defensively there was was frustrating but uh Booker had some nice moments there in Phoenix and then Lillard and uh clearly Jamal Murray in 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 Denver so uh one of the encouraging signs the other night when Chicago comes to town is like listen Zach Levine had been really good at the start of the year uh 20 plus points in 14 straight games uh, something only Michael Jordan had done for the Bulls. And so the Celtics stepped up there, had probably uh, what I thought was their best defensive game of the year because even Aaron Baines and Shemi coming off the bench are like giving the, giving the team a little extra. You know, if they do that on a night-to-night basis, they're going to give themselves every opportunity to win uh, no matter how the offense is playing. And if the offense is clicking, uh, then they're going to be really good. And so uh, – I do think that they just needed a game like that. And, like, listen, maybe I'll be sitting here and saying, all right, it was, you know, they, they got smushed by the Raptors and the Jazz. They, they didn't mean anything. But I think more likely than not, uh, it's just going to restore their confidence a little bit. And I just feel like once they get out of their own heads, a lot of that inconsistency will start to go away. Something that, to me, Chris, really can't be talked about enough, and you wrote about it as well. Kyrie Irving, he made headlines after that ugly 1-4 and four road trip when he said the C's needed more leadership basically you know right now i think that it would be nice if we had someone that was a 15-year vet 14-year vet that could you know just kind of help us race along the regular season understand that it's a long marathon rather than just a a full-on sprint of just you know when you want to play when you want to do what you want to do all right and then after a blowout of the bulls back home as you talked about he kind of 
clarified those comments. I think I was speaking on in general uh, for where we are as a team in terms of what we have in here as a group. And I was speaking to, you know, the responsibility that's put on me as well as Al, as well as Mook and, and Gordon to be the leaders of this team. Um, and we're all relatively young as well. Al's the oldest out of all of us, but, uh, you know, he's 13 years in, 12 years in. I think I was speaking just in general is uh, obviously there's a lot of movement going on in the league as usual around this, you know, around this time. But I wasn't speaking to anyone specific. I just was speaking to, uh, you know, a vet that has been through a championship run a few championship runs that's able to be patient with this team as, as well as understand what we're going through of just figuring out the pieces and how they mesh well together that's all so among those moves naturally people point to Carmelo Anthony he's done in Houston now it can't technically be traded yet but he could be waived and then signed elsewhere and whatever we could talk about Melo a little bit later you can acknowledge him here if you want to but for every you know you start to think about those impactful vets that come in and for every you know, P.J. Brown or Sam Cassell. There's also a Michael Finley and a Stephon Marbury. My feeling is the guy that Irving is describing should be him. I mean, he's been around a while, not that long, but he's been around a while. He's had championship runs. He's hit the biggest shot in finals history. He knows how to win a title. And if not him, it's Al Horford. He's been in the league for a dozen years. So where did these comments come from to you? Because, well, I'm not sure it's intended this way. They sort of sound like excuses for poor performance. Yeah, no doubt. And I think in the heat of the moment, at the end of a frustrating one and four road trip, and where where you fail to come back, where you race a twenty one point deficit but don't get over the hump there at the finish line, I think a lot of those guys were frustrated. You know, it was Marcus Smart who sort of had the outburst in the locker room and uh, tried to, to to light a little bit of a fire under these guys. And um, you know, I think what Kyrie probably intended, and you know, again, Kyrie goes off on these long tangents, and sometimes you know he rambles. gets lost on his way. Yeah, and I think his, uh, what I took away from the comments initially was guys are frustrated. I, he wished that there was a voice in that locker room that could say, hey, guys, this happens. But I'm with you. Like, that's got to be Kyrie. Like, I know he's sort of – my, my guess is he's a quiet leader based on what I've you know, seen and what I've heard. Um, but I do think there are instances where he needs to be that voice that says, hey, guys, listen, I've won a title. I've won a gold medal. Like, you're going to hit – these rough patches, but we're going to be okay. But here's what we need to do. Um, and I think he probably recognized that in the time when once it became a story, you know, he probably said, oh, man, now everyone thinks I want to go get Carmelo. Like, that's going to solve anything. Hmm. And so I think I think what, he, you know, in walking it back, he probably should have been a little bit more, uh, you know, firm about like, hey, it's, it's up to me. It's up to Al. It's up to, like, all these guys. Even the young guys have a voice in this locker room. They can feel free to step up and, and voice that. Uh, but yeah, I think overall, I don't think he was like trying to, to posture for, for some sort of addition. Like it wouldn't surprise me if we get to, to February or whatever the, the waiver deadline is and, and the Celtics are, are looking around at what's out there. But just like you said, it's such a, a low hit rate in terms of guys that come in and can actually be impactful that sometimes I think what the Celtics used to do is just sign someone, some 20-year-old kid who they wanted for, like, the G League over the summer and to work with the team. Sometimes it's better to fill your roster spots with that type than to, than to try and get a vet and try to figure out how they mesh and whether you can play them. And, you know, listen, Brad's already got enough headaches trying to figure out how these rotations work. I don't think we need to figure out how to how to add a, another body there, it's the, the least of which would be Carmelo Anthony and his, his terrible play at this point of his career. You know, it's funny. I Of all the things that I thought about and talked about on this show and with others and on Twitter or wherever over the course of the summer, concerns, and, and there were some, certainly on paper or fighting for minutes or whatever it may be, 
One of them for me was never really leadership, especially because, I mean, I think the world of my adopted dad, Brad Stevens, and I love, obviously, a lot of the guys on this team. But something you brought up and something that Kyrie maybe inadvertently acknowledged is, are there too many quiet leaders? I mean, he's a quiet leader. Al Horford strikes me as a quiet leader. Jalen Brown, to whatever degree he's a leader, is a quiet guy. Gordon Hayward certainly would be in that quiet leader category. Jason Tatum is at a point in his career where absolutely not a fiery guy. I mean, he's a he's a quiet leader. And Brad Stevens himself is not someone that, at least outwardly, I don't know what it's like in the locker room when he's upset, but, you know, there are only so many gosh darns to go around. He's not going to yell and scream <laughs> at these guys. So you all of a sudden look to a guy like Marcus Smart, who's 24, or maybe Marcus Morris, who's not going to be around all that long, probably this year and then see you later. I mean, are are there... Does Do they need to bring in a guy that isn't so much the 15-year vet like Kyrie said who's won a championship, but just someone that's that's going to force these guys to to just cut loose a little bit, to to take ownership of whatever it may be, to to set their hair on fire? Because it, it, Irving in that second clip I played, he named a whole bunch of guys. He didn't name Marcus Smart, and, right. and the, the guy that falls into that category here is Smart. So do they not look at him as, as having that potential? So I think what it is is, again, if this becomes a pattern where they have these stretches of inconsistency and where guys keep saying, like, oh, you know, who's, we need someone to step up and be a leader, uh, then I think you get to the point where, yeah, like maybe that, that, that's when Danny and Jeff will say, okay, there needs to be another voice in this locker room. Uh, I think it's big on Marcus Smart that, you know, I, I still can't believe he's only 24 years old. Like, when you think about being the longest-tenured Celtic and, you know, good on him because, you know, I asked him the other day, I said, would you have felt comfortable doing that two or three years ago? And he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just Mar- that's who Marcus Smart is. He was raised to if he felt people weren't living up to expectations to tell them. Uh, and I think sometimes people in that locker room need to hear that. And so I was curious, you know, because even Marcus said, I hope guys didn't take it the wrong way uh, because I want them to just know, like, this is unacceptable. We're too good to, to like, let this be the way we're playing. And right before they went out for, for, for practice that day, you know, Kyrie came over, dapped them up, had a little conversation, and, and, you know, smiles, and off they went. So that's an encouraging sign to me that it's okay for a young guy to step up and have a voice in that locker room. And I will be interested to see if that develops. You know, does Jalen Brown accept more of that role? Does, you know, Ken Tatum, who we was, you know, is just quiet in general, can he have a voice in a locker room like that? Does Hayward step forward now that he's more a part of this mix than necessarily last year? Um, you know, I don't think it's necessary for them to have that sort of firm voice. I, I think about like, okay, the Warriors. Who's who's the voice in that locker room? Like Draymond probably yells and screams, and mm-hmm. uh, but but like Durant and Curry and and Clay, they all strike me as maybe quieter leaders. So um, I think you can have a mix where as long as there's enough respect in that room to listen to what everybody says. And that's sort of the environment that Brad fosters. So I just think it, it, it can work, and there's no reason to think it won't. I just, again, like Kyrie's comment struck me as someone who was really frustrated that the Celtics had put themselves in this position, that, that, that it, there was no obvious answer to their struggles and their inconsistencies. And so they were just sort of grasping at, like, you know, how do we make this better? And, and, and what, what it comes down to is really they just got to play harder.
Quick break from Adam and Chris to tell you today's show is brought to you by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that makes expertly designed products to help you get your best sleep one night at a time. You spend one-third of your life sleeping. Why be uncomfortable? Casper products are designed with you in mind. Everything they make supports any type of body. Not sure what mattress is right for you? Start with the original Casper. With over 20,000 reviews, it is quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. The Casper is equipped with multiple supportive memory foams and it regulates your body temperature through the night and casper sells more than just mattresses they also sell sheets they sell pillows to ensure a better overall sleep experience and they do it all at affordable prices because they sell directly to you and you can be sure of your purchase with casper's 100 night risk-free sleep on a trial if you don't like it no sweat free shipping returns to customers in the u.s in Canada. What are you waiting for? Get $50 off today's select mattresses by going to casper.com slash Celtics and using the promo code Celtics at checkout. Again, $50 off select mattresses by going to casper.com slash Celtics. Use the promo code Celtics at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Really is one of the things with smart. And I, I sense you're the same way. I adore Marcus Smart, like to the point where I even enjoy his 52 million song kind of a little bit. 52, 52, 52, got 52 M's. I call my boy, he got 52 M's. Been in the gym, done 52 rounds. You know, I, I, I think I do. I think the, you know, I just I, I love the guy. I, I think you, you need to have a guy like that on a championship caliber team. But. You know, I I wonder, one thing that was really good about that comment that he made was that, you know, you think back in, in the last couple of years where things haven't gone right and not to call them out, but to call them out. You know, Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, guys instantly in post game they're frustrated and they're pointing mm-hmm. at Brad Stevens to, well, we got to think about the rotations and our substitution patterns and blah, blah, blah. Smart comes out and says, look, don't look at Brad. He's got a job to do, sure, but we got to go out and execute it, and we're not doing our jobs right now. And it's refreshing to hear a guy, especially such a young guy, say that. Yeah, and, like, so listen, like, you got to have people like that that can step up in front of the microphones and acknowledge that, too. Uh, like, Kyrie's been good. He talks after every game, and, and you know, again, he, he might ramble and, and take a while to get to his point, but, you know, he, he's pretty good about delivering that sort of message about where the state of the union and uh, where the team is. But you need guys to sort of be okay with acknowledging publicly, like, hey, we're not playing right, and we need to be better, and this is unacceptable, uh, and it's okay for guys to say that. Uh, listen, I'm the same way. Like, uh, anybody else raps about their contract extension, it probably drives everybody crazy. Marcus, <laughs> for some reason, it's just like, ah, that's just Marcus. You know, that's, uh, it, it, the, when I saw a Celtic player was on TMZ, I said, oh, no, this isn't going to be good. And then I was like, well, that's probably the most innocuous way you could be on TMZ <laughs> right. as, a, as a player. So uh, we'll, we'll let it slide. Um, you know, if, if, listen, if, if, if this is part of the reason that the Celtics were willing to commit that much money to Marcus Smart. And they've still got some tough decisions moving forward in terms of, you know, is he your guy? Is he your backup guy? Is Terry Rozier? Like, how is that all going to work um, uh, with the money that, that Terry's going to command over the summer? Uh, but, uh, you know, there are, though, that's the sort of intangible that Marcus brings, not only with the way he plays on the court, but what he gives you off the court as well. That song came out, my first thought, and, uh, it, it, it was probably something similar to like what your colleague DJ Bean would say about it. If, if he hasn't already part of the CLNS family as well with his brunch podcast, the, uh, 
like what would smart song have sounded like if if it was like 51.5 million like does he just round up it's not it's not it's not, it's not does he round it's not nearly as catchy <laughs> it would be tough but that's what yeah. makes it tough yeah you know it's look he's he's an artist uh a guy that we've we've talked about quite a bit here and again we'll see what he does in the next couple of games before this show was released but Jalen Brown picked up his aggressiveness after a very slow start and acknowledging that he's settling for too many jumpers. He's not going to the rim. It seemed like he, I don't know, his early season struggles have you, you almost in watching associate that with him not really being able to figure out where he fits in this offense. Now that Gordon Hayward's back. And we thought at least coming in that Marcus Morris was going to be the guy that felt that way when in fact he's been terrific and insanely comfortable. So What's been the issue with Brown? What's the issue or, or what's the key to getting him comfortable again, you think? Yeah, I think with Jalen, it's just he had the most unclear role. Like you add Hayward in, they do a lot of the same things, but both, both that Hayward, Tatum, Brown trio sort of, you know, had to figure out, all right, well, who, where are my shots coming from? Where am I supposed to be? Uh, I think that was an adjustment for all three of them. And then you factor in, you got, little issues for all of them. You got Hayward coming back from this injury and everyone's trying so hard to get him going. You got Tatum who's, you know, sort of hears all the, the, the press clippings in the summer and on the cover of Slam magazine and ESPN the magazine and knows that he's sort of on the on the cusp of superstardom and, you know, how does he make sure he takes that jump? And then you got Jalen who made probably more progress in year two than most of us expected. Uh, we're sort of wondering what that ceiling is for him. Uh, and, and they're all just sort of walking on eggshells, I felt like. And, and, you know, people look at Jason Tatum's shot selection and say he wasn't doing that. But I do think that just that the guys weren't le- just sort of letting their natural talents take over and, and, and do what they do best. They were sort of forcing everything. I think that's led to a lot of the inconsistencies for that starting group. Uh, now that Gordon Hayward's minutes are starting to stretch out a little bit, I think that takes a little bit of, uh, of the pressure off everything. I think we saw in the Bulls game that – Jalen, when he's aggressive, when he goes to the basket, uh, when he takes advantage of his athleticism, uh, he's just a different player. And I felt like the team was different. I think it's just, you know, it's like all of a sudden Jalen's going, everybody else feels like, all right, here we go. Like this is, you know, let's just do what we do. Uh, and and that's a really encouraging sign. But they need that. Like it might just be a situation where as Jalen goes, so go the Celtics. Like if he's comfortable, if he's making those corner threes when he's open, if he's attacking the basket and being one of the few guys that can actually get to the line, like those are all good things. Uh, and I think mentally he just needed a good game. And so we'll see if he can build off of it. But he, like he, to me, he's really important uh, moving forward here on both ends of the floor. Uh, and getting everyone going, and and and, and have they, like if the Celtics going to be as good as they possibly can be, while we sort of look at Jalen as maybe, I mean, I guess he's the the, the the fifth guy on that that starting lineup. Like if you're going to rank like in terms of importance, um, like he's still to me, he's a very important fifth guy on that lineup. One thing that's been interesting as it relates to that is, I think Jay King in the Athletic wrote this piece that everybody's net rating when they're not playing with Gordon Hayward is better. And it's just so much worse when Hayward's on the floor. And part of that, as you said, speaks to trying to get him involved, trying to get him comfortable, trying to get him the ball. And you can't help but wonder at least a little bit with the continuity that existed last year when there was so much success, especially among that starting unit. And this has come up. Is it worth experimenting with Hayward off the bench so that you can keep that starting group together when it had 
you know, all that run when Kyrie Irving was still healthy the first three quarters of the year. And Hayward can maybe work on finding his offense, finding his shot with that second group. So my philosophy has always been when that first unit has shown, when we've seen the glimpses of that first unit, it's been really good. And even dating back to last year, the last preseason game in Charlotte, like to me, that's your best five. And you just have to be committed to working through the bumps. And I know it would be easy for the Celtics to sort of just be like, all right, you know, it's not working right now. Let's, let's wait. Let's let Gordon work this out. But I just don't know if there's a, a, a positive in that. I don't think Brad cares about losing some early season games. Like, sure, he wants this team to be playing better. He wants to be the, competing for the top seed in the East. But if, if the pain point is, you know, losing a couple games you should have won while figuring this thing out a little bit quicker, I don't think that's the worst thing. I do think there's ways you can uh, do both in, sort, in terms of I'd like to see Brad get Gordon out of there early get him back in there with the second unit, which I think like in general is what they should do anyway because Gordon's such a good ball handler and creator that he's going to naturally get better looks for Marcus Morris and he's going to take pressure off Terry Rozier handling the ball and Marcus Smart can play off the ball. And, you know, it, it just it, it allows everybody to sort of uh, have some more freedom when he's out there. Uh, and, and listen, but I just think as Gordon gets closer to being the player that we know he can be, uh, he is so important to that first unit, and that five is so important because that's what makes them so different. Uh, it's really tough, and I think Kyrie said this after that Portland loss. It's like when you look at that first unit, they create so many problems for other teams with their versatility, with the way that everybody can kind of create off the dribble, can get their own shot. You know, think back two years ago when Isaiah Thomas was scoring 50 points in the playoffs. Celtics had nobody else who could score mm-hmm. or create their own shot. Now they've got five guys. We're at the, like, the complete opposite end of the problem spectrum. Uh, but if they can figure that out, if they all can figure out how to coexist, how this all works, I mean, if they can harness what they showed that first quarter in Denver, this team is going to be really, really good. And I think they're just going to endure the bumps in the road while getting to that point. I think we're, we're sort of at a point now where, again, with, with Gordon's minutes starting to stretch out, it's just going to become a little bit easier for Brad to, to see how this all works together. We'll get to some of the league-wide issues in a little bit, but we did get a bunch of questions on social media, as you probably saw as well. Ooh. And, uh, you know, some of them dealt with Hayward. I think you kind of just hit on one of them because Matt wanted to know about just should we get a more playmaking – not we, should the Celtics get a more playmaking duties. But uh, related, Finian said, how long do you think it'll take Hayward to get back, not just to form, but to his all-star form, if he is capable of that? Yeah, I, I'd say we'll probably start seeing – a more consistent Gordon Hayward by like the middle of next month. You know, I don't know if we'll see like full on Gordon Hayward until I don't know. Maybe I, I would say I, I'll give him a lot of leash. I think it, you probably won't see the same explosion, the same confidence until maybe January or February because yeah, I just think it takes time. You know, and uh, I don't want to give him. I've said this for the Celtics as a whole. I don't want to give them the excuse of hey, they're trying to figure this out, but. You know, I sit back, and one of the things I do is I laugh when we're sitting there in February and March of last year, and we're peppering Brad Stevens with questions every day about, like, is Gordon coming back? Is Gordon coming back? In hindsight, it's so silly because, you know, imagine if they had rushed him back at that point and, like, like how like probably bad he would have been and how not ready he would have been. Uh, it's just tough to come back from an injury like that and being away for so long and to do it all while figuring yourself out on a team that's, you know, getting two guys back, two all-stars back to a team that was really good. So 
I just think all those factors at play, it's going to take some time. And I think you, the, that people need to be patient with that as long as they figure it out by April and March, you know, that that's okay. And that's why when people start worrying about seeding right now, I kind of, I kind of chuckle. Like I do agree. You know, you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you have to go on the road to both Toronto and Milwaukee in the playoffs. But if the Celtics are as good as we think they can be, that probably shouldn't be an issue. They should still win those, will be able to win those sort of series with the talent they've got. Look, man, you're preaching to the choir. I've been saying on this show for literally months that I just don't think it's fair or reasonable to judge Hayward before February. I think that's that's sort of the benchmark of, okay, the guy missed an entire year, couldn't run, couldn't do anything basketball activities-wise, shoot, a, you know, short, shoot standing up or out of a chair. You know, you... If, if you want to evaluate him running, jumping, cutting, pivoting, crossing over, whatever it may be, you need to give that time for him to get comfortable. And some people say it takes an entire year. It might be, quite frankly, it might even be unfair to say February. But I think that is, that's your benchmark. To look at him in, in mid-November and say, boy, he isn't an all-star. Well, no crap. He's not an all-star. He wasn't, <laughs> it, of course not. Never mind just trying to figure out. I think it also might be. We don't need to spend time on this. We'll get to more questions. But it might also be different if, you know, the environment, if if he suffers that injury and he's going back to the same team and system, et cetera, and everything, environment, whatever, that he's used to in Utah versus starting brand new in Boston, which is effectively what he's doing because year one he played five minutes, that speeds up everything as well. So he's behind the eight ball in just about every imaginable way, short of playing for Brad Stevens, who he's used to. You know, God forbid it was like he went to Miami and and it's Eric Spolstra, and then everything is different. So at least there's some familiarity, but that's sort of how I fall on the issue. I'm with you on everything, and I just think people forget how good Gordon Hayward could be. Uh, You know, we haven't seen anything anywhere near close to that. When when he – even if he gets back to 75, 80% of himself by the end of the year, like, man, that's a really good player. And I think everyone should be excited for the Celtics when that happens and if that happens. One more quick break to tell you today's show is brought to you by The Athletic. If you haven't heard about The Athletic by now, you must be living under a rock. I mean, these guys have been crushing every element of sports coverage imaginable. Whether you're looking for specific local coverage with beat guys, sports discussed under a national lens, or anything in between, you got to make sure you take a look at The Athletic. No pop-ups, no ads, just high-quality content waiting behind every single click. The Celtics beat, and of course, I mean the beat, not the specific show. It's stacked with great writers. Jay King, he wrote a piece recently about Marcus Smart and how he's handling an emotional roller coaster of a year. A terrific piece you should check out. And there's Jared Weiss, he's been on this show. He used to work for CLNS. Absolutely stacked coverage. You cannot get content like this anywhere else. 600 to 750 new articles every single week. I mean, who is pushing out quality content like that? If you haven't signed up yet, Take advantage of this deal because it's not going to last forever. Go to theathletic.com slash Celtics beat to get 40% off your monthly subscription. That's a subscription for less than $3 a month just by going to theathletic.com slash Celtics beat. How easy is that? Jay King, Jared Weiss, Sham Sharania, he hopefully will be on this show sometime soon, and more, all for less than 3 bucks a month. I mean, really? Sign me up. Heck, sign yourself up too at theathletic.com slash Celtics beat. All right, back to the show. So from Kyle, and I love this one. I was going to ask you about it anyway, so I'm glad he did. Can Marcus Smart become the, uh, I wasn't going to ask this question, but related to it. Can Marcus Smart become the franchise leader in three-pointers made? He's now in the top ten. Now, before you even answer, I will say that 
Paul Pierce hit over 1,800. Marcus Smart is at 333. No, that is absolutely, he's not even going to, he's not going to sniff Antoine Walker, who has half of Pierce's total, in second place. But he is only 15 behind Danny Ainge, at least as we talk right now, for ninth place in franchise history. And as, you know, you said it earlier, longest tenured Celtic, but it's still just year five. And a lot of this speaks to the era of the NBA that we're in, where three-pointers are being hoisted like crazy. I think he's already eighth in attempts in franchise history. But still, this is a guy who generally, at least percentage-wise, sucks from three. He's a 29% three-point shooter. He's 27% this year. Say what you want about his hot streaks or his form. Can you believe that Marcus Smart, ranks 10th all-time and made three-pointers in Celtics history. Yeah, you know, the, 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 I think I was looking at the list last night, and he's going to catch not only Danny, but he's probably going to catch, like, Dana Barrows, who you think of as a, a really good three-point Prolific, shooter, really yeah. Score. Um, you know, that's kind of jarring to me. Uh, I do think, you know, if let's say Marcus spends his entire career with the Celtics, uh, he, he might get close to the attempts record based on, <laughs> you know, his, 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 the way he shoots. And that's jarring. Uh, but listen, that's again, I go back to that's what I love about him is that he just, you know, he doesn't recognize that he probably shouldn't be taking those shots all the time. I do think he's been better this year. Uh, I think we, one of the things we thought coming into the season is, oh, is, is Marcus Morris and Marcus Smart, are they just going to, you know, fire away with that second unit? Are they going to know? Uh, but but they've been some of the better uh, uh, ones to sort of identify where their sh- where their best attempts come from, and that's really encouraging. Marcus has sort of embraced being a facilitator and a creator, and uh, that's that that's what that that second unit needs. And so, uh, but yeah, like to see him even on that list, it's just it just speaks to uh, where the game is going, and like how much that three point shot wasn't a part of a former era. Uh, but man, yeah, when we, when we, when people look back 30 years from now and see Marcus Smart at, at like number six or seven, it's going to, you know, there's going to be some questions asked about how that happened. I, I heard Danny Ainge on the radio this week too, saying that, look, uh, he didn't even really start taking three pointers until his fourth or fifth year in the league because it was so new. And if, if he played in today's NBA, I mean, he'd be right up there at, at the top of the franchise with at least attempts and he'd probably hit more than Antoine Walker so it is I, I I love the NBA you know I love the NBA I do hate the style of play in today's NBA but that's a whole longer conversation that I, I grew up on 90s basketball I miss and I love 90s basketball but uh, we'll save that for another time let's do some more questions do you think Al Horford will accept his player option next year or do you think the team is going to work out a longer term deal with him that benefits both parties that's from Nick yeah, I think part of it will come down to uh, what happens this season in terms of, okay, are the Celtics uh, as currently constructed? Are they truly a title contender? And I think we think they are now. Um, you know, maybe we find out differently as the season goes along. Uh, I'll be interested to see the level that, that Al sort of plays with. He Listen, he had a bad road trip, but uh, there's nothing that suggests that Al Horford won't be worth uh, whatever the, the value he'll command. Uh, I do think it would be beneficial to the Celtics with uh, with tax related concerns coming up uh, if they could get Al to go down to you know eighteen twenty million a year whatever it would take uh, if they could give him some security in years. Uh, when I was talking to Al before the season about you know about Kyrie saying he wants to be back, I sort of said, "Have you considered uh, your future?" And he, he didn't kind of want to get into it, but. Uh, I think his you know, what he would say is that, like, listen, he loves Boston. He loves what they're building. He wants to be a part of it. I can certainly see a situation where he goes to his agent and says, hey, like, 
you know, I know we're giving up some money this year, but like, let's opt out. Let's get some security. Like let's, 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 let's know that my family is going to be here uh, for the rest of my playing days. And, and there's a value that comes with that. I think we've seen it with, with Kyrie, you know, you know, once he made that announcement, it takes a lot of the pressure off a lot of the questions off. Uh, I think Al would, would benefit greatly and the Celtics would benefit greatly if Al can be that player. Uh, it just comes down to, you know, how does the market look and who's available and could that money be used elsewhere? I mean, but it gets tricky just because it's so much easier to re-sign your own players than it is to try and figure out how to how to incorporate, uh, how to go sign someone else with the, the money they have committed right now. When the Globe's Adam Himmelsbach was on for our season preview show, one of the things that we talked about was potential sixth man of the year candidates. And for Boston, of course, the guys that we naturally talked about at the time were Terry Rozier and maybe Marcus Smart. The guy we did not talk about is the one that Michaela wants to know about, who's the most obvious candidate, at least of those three. That's Marcus Morris. Do you think he could be a serious candidate for sixth man of the year in the league? Yeah, absolutely. I think what we know is that a lot of the voting for those sort of awards comes down to teams that do well. And so if the Celtics are one of the top four teams in the league by the end of the year, uh, then naturally you're going to look and say, okay, who beyond the starting lineup contributed here? And Marcus Morris has been awesome. Uh, They don't win that game in Phoenix without his buzzer beater. They don't win a lot of the games earlier in the year without his scoring. Uh, uh, What's interesting to me is I think going into the year, I sort of, thought in my mind okay someone has to go before the end of the year uh i think part of it would be not only the the talent log jam uh and that there just wasn't going to be enough minutes for you know whether it's nine guys or whatever uh that so but, but but more so the luxury tax concern where you know the Celtics are about three four million dollars over right now if they make a move uh before the end of the season they can get below it saves them a ton of money down the road uh the thing that that's thrown a wrench in all of it is that if if ultimately you need all these guys, if if you need Terry and Marcus and both Marcuses to be successful, then I don't know if there's an obvious move. So going into the year, I sort of thought maybe Marcus Morris was the most likely to get moved, uh, a guy who is going to be a free agent who you don't have really any chance to bring back because of the money he'll command, uh, especially with his recent agency switch and uh, what what they're going to demand. So I, I just felt like he was one of the guys that, that maybe was most likely to be traded. Uh, now I'm not so sure because he's been really important. Uh, we talked about it earlier, like the leadership voice that he provides. Uh, you know, Marcus Morris could be a really integral part of this success. And if he is, he's naturally going to land in that six-man conversation. In terms of trying to figure out the financials of everything, and I'm kind of asking you to look in, into your crystal ball, something that you'll start to think about probably in the next month or well, less than two, really, with the trade deadline being moved up. And don't even worry about the buyout market. Michael wants to know, and I think a lot of people are wondering, especially among these how can the Celtics improve type questions float around right now. Are there any realistic trade targets you think that are out there, guys that that we should be thinking about? See, I don't see any – in years past we've had – we said like, oh, okay, they need another shooter off the bench or they need another big man. I don't see any glaring needs right now. In in fact, I think it's just the – it's almost the opposite. I I think it's more likely that – uh that there might become a point where you just say like brad just as gordon hayward's minutes stretch out there's just not enough time for everybody to go around is the more likely move subtracting someone either adding more assets for the future uh trying to cut salary like things that can help your team beyond on the court this season now listen we might have an injury along the way and and that'll change the narrative about what they need to pursue and what they need for 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 help but 
you know, Brad Wanamaker hasn't been able to get on the court. We saw a lot of – there's always been Phil Pressey and Shane Larkin minutes in years past, so they're pretty set there, obviously, at ball handlers. Uh, there's no lack of shooting and wing depth this year, and Robert Williams hasn't been able to get on the court, and, and he's as athletic and intriguing of a big man as, as they've drafted. And so uh, I think it's more likely that as if things continue to progress as they have, that the only moves I can see them making are either moving one of their rotation guys in order to, to, to thin out the numbers and get under the, the luxury tax, uh, or maybe it goes back to the adding a veteran. And I don't think that's necessarily a trade. I think that's more likely to be a, a buyout and just trying to add another voice or someone who's been through it, has championship experience, and who can just kind of uh, give you more off the court than necessarily what they would give you on the court. Jacob here is obviously a hashtag Forsberg fan. He wants to know, uh, generally, what do people like more, your hair or your dad jokes? Uh, I mean, I don't want to go all Evan Turner here and start shooting my own (laughs) horn, but I I think both are pretty great. Uh, I mean, how do you choose? I mean, right. I mean, like, it's almost impossible. Uh, I think more people like making fun of the dad jokes than they do the hair, uh, which is understandable. The hair is great. (laughs) Um. All right, one more question from at least a a listener, and then we can mix in some of the league stuff before I let you go, and this one will segue into that. Ray and several others asked, and it's it's as delusional a question as there is. I don't fault them for asking it, though, because it was out there. Glenn Big Baby Davis (laughs) thinks that Kevin Durant is going to come to Boston. What do you think? Uh, listen, I've, I've watched Big Baby chow down on chicken with a briefcase full of money on a plane, and I, like, I tend to take him at his word. Uh, <laughs> he's still plugged in. He still knows people around the league. He hears things. Uh, I don't think it's likely. But, you know, the one thing I say to, to this is all the time is when people ask me about, you know, Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant and, you know, how, you know, what else are the Celtics going to get? One, I think it's kind of funny because, like, the Celtics are loaded right now and people still want more. It's like, enjoy what you've got. Uh, on the other hand, I know that the Celtics front office doesn't sit there and just be content. And so if things fizzle with the Warriors, whether it's Durant or Clay or Draymond or whatever, it's like if they make a move, like the Celtics still have assets. They still have the means to, to, to make crazy moves like that. Um, in my mind, without crunching the numbers, I don't see how there's really any way possible, short of Durant taking a real discount, that to, to make all that work just the free agent signing, but like sign and trade or whatever. You know, like there's plenty of mastications that you can that you can figure that out. Um, I don't think Danny Ainge ever settles and 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 says like, you know, I'm not going to go after these guys. The first iteration of this was supposed to be Kevin Durant and Al Horford uh, when they made that that first mm-hmm. summer pitch. So uh, he'll shoot for the moon. That doesn't mean it's likely. I think Glenn Davis is uh, still bleeds a little bit of green and is is hopeful for his former team. Uh, but I don't think he's necessarily plugged in about where where Kevin Durant is going. We don't really have the proper time that uh, this discussion warrants, so I don't know, a quick fleeting question, I suppose. But this Warriors situation between KD and Draymond and all that's behind the scenes that we're just starting to kind of learn about and really dates back to last year and the mess that was always alluded to but never quite described is fascinating and it probably will it seems lead to an end of a dynasty quicker than it necessarily should and maybe that's as soon as this coming off season but I think the most important thing to remember and maybe you disagree with this is there's still just so much talent there that I don't care if if Kevin Durant and Draymond Green get along 
I believe them. I take them both at their word when they say that is not going to get in the way of them winning a championship this year. Oh, my, of course. And, and actually, I think this is bad for the rest of the NBA because I feel like the, the, the biggest thing that could derail the Warriors dynasty was going to be boredom that guys would sit there and say, like, this is coming too easy and would want their own situation, then maybe they, you know, maybe Clay would want to go somewhere else. Maybe Durant would say, you know, this has been fun. I got my rings. Now I'm going to go to New York, you know, just try another challenge. Whereas this, like, all of a sudden, now they've got something to play for. Now everyone's looking at them saying, oh, the dynasty is over. This is going to bring that. Now I think they're going to rally around it somehow. Uh, and like you said, they're just too damn talented to not have that success. So, uh, you know, part of me is like, yeah, like go ahead and 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 start thinking it's the demise. I, I think it's the complete opposite. I think it's only going to inspire them somehow. Uh, clearly not the other night against the Rockets, but um, the, I think they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna find some unity behind this. That winning cures all, and uh, it'll be kumbaya by the end of the year. And listen, I don't know if it, it still might Durant might still get free agency and say, you know, I'm just sick of this. I don't want to deal with this guy anymore. This is like, I'm going to go find something else. Uh, but I think there's still a very good chance that they get to next summer and everyone looks around and says, why, why would we want to go anywhere else? We're just dominating the league. We're going to a sparkly new arena. Uh, this is kind of fun. Uh, that that we, sh- we shouldn't just presume the, the demise of this dynasty. Let's wrap quickly here with some Sixers talk because we really haven't even talked about Jimmy Butler and the fact that he's there. And I'll tell you what, I mean, just my view, I'm not convinced it was the right move for the Sixers for personality reasons. We know that he has struggled with young, talented guys very recently in Minnesota, leaving Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins behind for Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and whatever it is that Mark L. Fultz turns out to be. But they've sacrificed some shooting. They lose... Sharich, they lose Covington, they lose the ability to even go out and probably get a guy who is a good shooter short of, I don't know, trading for a Kyle Korver or something like that. So the team is very one-dimensional in that aspect of its offense. But where I also say I don't quite think it's the right move for them, I do feel like it was the necessary one because I think Philly looked at things and said this is an available all-star who we can acquire at a relatively cheap cost and we know that we are not as presently constituted good enough to beat Boston or Toronto. Yeah, I 100% agree. Like they had to make the move that like this is this is the post process era, right? Like all right, we're not content to just wait another year uh and take our chances in free agency after they whiffed this past summer. I felt like they had to do something. Uh and in the same breath, I don't think they fixed their biggest problem, which is they need more shooting, like to complement the talent they've got. Uh, like Embiid is otherworldly. Ben Simmons is Magic Johnson without a jump shot. And <laughs> like Jimmy Butler, here's the one thing I'll say. I am not as sold on Jimmy Butler as what seems like the rest of the NBA world. You know, what has Jimmy Butler done in the postseason or what has Jimmy Butler done with young cores that leads anyone to believe that he will be this ultimate difference maker? To, the, to that end, not to cut you off, I don't understand how yeah. there's anybody out there that believes Jimmy Butler's a top 10 player in the NBA. I get real cringy. Like, we were having this discussion on the podcast yesterday, our Celtics Talk podcast, about, you know, is, do the Sixers now have three top 20 guys? And, you know, I think it was Sherrod who was, was leery of putting Ben Simmons in the top 20. For me, you know, like, if I was drafting, I don't know if Jimmy Butler's in my top 20. No. Uh, and part maybe, of that's like age maybe like two and, and, years and ago. That. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I like. I think it's telling, you know, that the Celtics had multiple opportunities to go get Jimmy Butler, so and many. ultimately they decided that they wanted Jalen Brown and and other young players more than they wanted 
Jimmy Butler. I think he's a very good player. I don't want to discount what he can do. Um, I just don't think he's the sort of player that you get and you go to another level. Uh, like, why couldn't he get the most out of Minnesota? What leads us to believe that it'll be any different with Philadelphia? Now, listen, the Sixers might go out. They might get a bunch of shooters. If they get Korver, if they got Redick now. I mean, like, you know, all of a sudden they're, they're listen, they're, they're, they're going to be very good. And but to me, the, 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 the most of their success will be because of Embiid and Simmons. Uh, so, and uh, I'll be fascinated to see how it all works together. It didn't look great the first night, but, you know, that's happened. I'm not going uh, to really uh, come down hard on them and lose the magic. Like, the Celtics did the same thing. So, that happened. Uh, but, like, how does it all fit? I don't think Jimmy Butler is as bad of a teammate as people made it out to be. He had a really bad situation, or, or, or he, he let it play out really badly in Minnesota, uh, and I think that caused people to just sort of look at him in a different way. Um, but I don't necessarily think he's going to come in there and, like, make Markel Fultz cry, as everyone mm. seems to think. So, uh, But it, it is going to be fascinating to watch. I do think, listen, they're more talented now. They're going to add more talent. It makes the second round of the playoffs in the East that much more daunting. Uh, all of a sudden, if you thought maybe getting the one seed gave you a break from having to play the Raptors and the Bucks, and you know maybe gave you an easier matchup in Philly or 76ers, uh, maybe suddenly that's not the case. And so uh, it's a much tougher path now for the Celtics, who we just sort of laid out the red carpet for before the season. Uh, there's three other very good teams in the East, and uh, it's not as much of a cakewalk as possible. I don't know where the Sixers quite rank in that mix yet. They're 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 a distant fourth still to me until they show it. And uh, but but I'm curious. Like you know, listen, these are the moves that I, I like when teams recognize. Hey, we have a chance. Let's not wait. Let's do this. And uh, that's what the Celtics did when they went and got Isaiah Thomas and kind of took flight. So. Uh, fascinated to see how it all plays out in Philly. Yeah, I really do. Not so much maybe as a Celtics fan, but as an NBA fan, a fan of the game. I love. I I just love that it's it's not such a well. It's going to be the Celtics and it's going to be the Raptors and that's it. And we're just waiting until the Eastern Conference Finals. The way that we have so many years in in the East, quite frankly, expecting Cleveland, Toronto, in in a lot of cases. I like that it's a top heavy conference and you've got those couple of teams and you mix in Philly and Milwaukee. And I don't know, some people want to believe that Washington belongs in that mix too, but it, uh, it, it should be there. There should actually be some challenging playoff series for the Celtics come, uh, come April. And, and that's a good thing, but Chris Forsberg, I've kept you long enough and it was wildly entertaining as it always is. I appreciate you coming on, man. Hey, thanks Adam. We'll do it again soon. Don't have to tell me twice. He's the best, isn't he? Chris Forsberg, once again, NBC Sports Boston. Again, congratulations to him on his new gig. All right, we're about out of time. Today's show, once again, brought to you by Robinhood. Get a free stock when you sign up at Celtics.RobinHood.com. Today's show also brought to you by The Athletic. Get your subscription to The Athletic today for less than $3 a month just by going to TheAthletic.com slash Celticsbeat. Thanks to Chris, my producer, Evan Valenti, great as always, and to Nick, Larry, John, everyone at CLNS, and most importantly, you. You can subscribe to Celtics Beat. Go to iTunes, search Celtics or Celtics Beat. You will find us. Subscribe. We appreciate it. Get the shows every single week, at least on Sundays. Again, subscribe. Five-star ratings are appreciated. Leave a comment, whatever it is, and I hope you enjoyed the show. And I hope we all get to enjoy these next couple of games that, of course, as you listen, have already happened. As I talk, have not yet, and whatever it's, uh, I'm gonna, it's gonna turn inception around here. So, Gino, get us out of here before I get cross-eyed.